Amen. Well, last week we, sh- we started the book of Revelations and basically just did an overview, okay? And, and what I'm going to do this week is talk about the seven churches, and then uh, next week we're going to go into Revelations 4 and 5, which Revelations 4 is the bu- most beautiful picture of heaven that you'll read in all Scripture. It's got more detail about heaven than any other passage in the whole Bible about what the throne room and where God lives looks like. And then we're going to go into uh, chapter 5, which they go together, of how Jesus walks down and takes the title deed from his daddy and begins to open up the plan and show us the next seven years about what's going to happen, okay? Which I think this, guys, you think about the, uh, John, the apostle, okay? He's on the island of Patmos. He's been secluded because he's standing up for Jesus. He's in his 90s, and he's still going hard for Jesus. In his 90s. See, anybody can do something for a year or two or three. But did you see what happened to John as he was faithful to God all those years? Jesus personally appeared to him and showed him the end of all days. That's amazing, my friend. Because there was a lot of people going hard after Jesus in that day. But he walked where people didn't walk. He went where they were abandoned. They were left out. They were cast out. And he showed John something that has completely changed those churches' lives and it changes our lives if we'll lean into it and see the Master. So we're going to read about these churches. So go ahead and get in your Bible, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1. And we're going to read 1 through 7. But before I do, I want to just give you a little bit of a... Uh, what some people say these seven churches represent. You have different people, uh, and it's not like error, but you know they define these churches a little bit different. Okay, uh, some people will say these seven churches, which we know represented churches in that day. And could you pull up that slide, Brandon, the one, the, the one about the churches and where they're located? Yeah, right here. So these seven churches, they were uh, in a particular place in what they said what was called Asia, Asia Minor in that day. Now it's Turkey, okay? Now it's called Turkey. But these churches existed, and you see Patmos out here. This is where John was, okay? He had to smuggle this letter into Asia Minor because they would frisk him, and they, would, they, they, they didn't want this to get out. They would have checked him out. So he had to be creative in his way to get it here. So each church is numbered with, you know, kind of like in, as he would walk, one, two, three. Well, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, those were the seven churches that he wrote to, but some scholars and some commentators will say that this is like seven time periods, basically time periods. And that's what I'm going to give you guys, that part of it right here. And you can just leave that picture up, Brandon. Appreciate it. The first one, Ephesus. It is labeled the apostolate, the apostolate, Apostolic Church. And that was from uh, 33 to 100 A.D. And I can see that because Ephesus was a powerhouse church. They had people coming and they were starting the church. Jesus had died in 33 A.D. So they're kicking off the church. This church uh, was from Pentecost when they received the Holy Spirit to about A.D. 100. The death of John, the end of the apostolic age. Y'all can help me anytime. Don't feel like it's bad, okay? I love people to help me. In every one of these churches, Jesus gives a title of himself. And in Ephesus, he says, Him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And one thing you need to realize is, the last time John saw him, he was a suffering saint. He was the one that went to the cross and was beat and mutilated in front of everybody. And now he's seeing a side of Jesus that he's never saw. So Jesus is saying, hey, look, man, I, I, I'm that guy that holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. Do you know anybody in your life that holds seven stars in their hand? Have you ever seen a star? If you got close enough to a star, it looks like it's bigger than the sun. Those stars are huge. So we got the man of God. We got Jesus holding seven stars. And the commendation that he gives Ephesus is they're hardworking, they're persevering, they're discerning a false doctrine. The Nicolaitans. Has anybody ever read that and said, what is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? Have you ever wondered what that is? Yeah. I mean, it's not something you read in in any of the other Gospels or any of the other epistle writings. You don't see that coming up. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. His complaint was they they left their first love. You notice they left their first love. They left it. Let's go ahead and read that. Revelations chapter uh, 1. I mean, two verses, one through seven. Let's read that real quick. It says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, 
And in my Bible, all these letters we're about to read are in red. These are from Jesus. It says, These things says, He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. This church was happening, guys. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have what? Left your first love. That means you as an individual walked away from your first love. We have that going on in the church. Somebody gets touched by Jesus and you're excited for a short time. You begin to, you begin to uh, reevaluate your whole life. You stop listening to this. You readjust that. You walk away from things in your life. But over time, those things keep hammering you. Something new comes out. Something better comes out. Devil keeps hammering you with materialism. Things in this world keeps hitting you. And then the next thing you know, that love you had for him is now being shared with somebody else. That wouldn't work in a marriage relationship at all. I love Belinda. But if a girl named Tammy come up and I begin to love on Tammy a little bit, help me. Is that going to go well? Now, that might be all right in your relationship. Y'all might be cool with that. I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm not here to throw no rocks. That might be cool. It ain't cool in my house. I'm not going to be living at 285 Berry Road no more. I'm calling Jacob. Hey, I need a room. <laughs> but I ain't sharing my love with another woman. It ain't going to fly. So it, Jesus is saying, this ain't cutting it, guys. You're sharing your love for me with other people. It ain't working. But see, we don't look at it that way. Oh, I still go to church. I'm still involved in church. I'm still doing a lot of good things. That's what they were doing. <laughs> they were kicking it, man. On the, I mean, when you looked at that church, they were, man, blossoming. They were changing the community. They were doing a lot of good things. But Jesus corrected them. God forbid you correct anybody in church today. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I mean, just the thought of being corrected. Whoa, dog. Whoa, whoa. What are you saying? Uh, well, let me tell you what I'm saying. Okay? Jesus is correcting his church in seven letters. Now, there's two churches that don't get no correction. And that's all of y'all, right? <laughs> that, that, y'all are part of that church. Okay? Correction is the best thing you ever could get. Hear me out, guys. When you leave today to go home, if you don't correct your car and all you do is hit the gas pedal. You're not getting out of this parking lot. You're going to hit a tree. You're going to run into the building. You're going to hit something. Why? You didn't correct the car. You didn't make it go the way it was supposed to go. You didn't turn the steering wheel. Now, what if you're in your car heading home and you needed to take a right turn and your steering wheel just said, No, I'm not doing that today. And then all of a sudden where your horn was, there was a fist that popped out and hit you right between the nose. Or between the eyes. I mean, seriously. I mean, that's how funny it is whenever you're being corrected. You need to pull up a chair and go, okay, well, maybe I can learn something right here. And that's what Jesus is hoping that every one of these churches do, including you and me. We're no different. He's speaking to the church in McDonough called Revolution. Okay? He's talking to us. This is going to speak to you today. And I'm telling you, Jesus is not hoping you change. He's expecting you to change. If you want what He's got for you, you're going to change. He ain't going to change His mind and go, Oh, Lori, I know. It's okay. It was all right. You lied. You stole. But you was in church. I'll make an exception for you. Uh-uh. No. He is not making exception. Listen, this is a righteous judge. This ain't Judge Judy. Okay? This ain't the judge down the street that can be slid a little extra money to you know, sway the results. Uh-uh, this is Judge Jesus. So when you stand before him, I'm telling you, it ain't, it, he ain't going to water it down. I mean, it's for real. That's why I preach with passion like I do. Friend, if you treat this like a little game and it's just a checklist off your busy life, you're going to miss it. And when you stand before Jesus... I don't want you looking back going, I wish Nathan would have told me. No, I'm going to ride on the back of your, your life and I'm going to push you, I'm going to challenge you and I'm going to say, look, 
We have a righteous judge. We have a righteous Father who loves us, but He ain't going to compromise. That's why Jesus stopped in Revelations after His description of who He was in Revelations 1. And before He got to the seven seals and the trumpets and the great tribulation, He paused for a minute. And He said, before I get going, let me stop, drop and roll. i got to send a letter to my family. i got to send a letter to my seven families. Because I want them to know what I, what I need them to do. So they can experience what's about to happen. And they don't have to stay in this mess. That's love, my friend. That is love. He could have completely ignored all those churches. And watched all of them just go to hell. Backslide. Be ready at His coming. Do y'all remember the ten virgins? Yeah. We remember them, don't we? They're at the gate. Oh, yeah. We're at the gate. We got our oil and our lamp. We're fired up. Woo! Well, a couple of them just let the oil just burn on out. They just got weary. Ah, he ain't coming. And all of a sudden, the master's coming. Five of them were ready. The other five were like, hey, man, can I borrow some of your oil? Hey, man, hey, man, can I just, can I ride on your coattail to Jesus? And, oh, man, I ain't been really serious. But can I help? Will you help me? Will you help me? Very bold. You ain't getting my oil. I'm waiting on the master. Good job. But I'm waiting on the master. I'm waiting on the king. I'm ready. I'm ready. My heart's ready. My family's ready. We're ready for the king to knock on my door. He ain't coming to Nathan's house and going, oh, man, I'm not ready. No. We live ready all the time. Stay ready. We're not perfect, but I repent. When I screw up, Father, forgive me. In Jesus' name, forgive me. Oh, God. I don't sit there and, oh, well, that was okay. I guess that ain't that bad. You know, I mean, I've seen Jackie do something way worse. So, I mean, it wasn't that bad. You know what I'm saying? No, I don't compare that. No. Man, sin, sin. Call it what it is. Get it ready. Get, get, get it under the blood. Amen. Hallelujah. No, Jackie's perfect. She don't do that. She's sweetheart. Hallelujah. Let's go on and read it a little bit more real quick. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. See, all you got to do is stop and remember where you, where you fell from. And then just go back to that. It's real simple, guys. Repent and do the first works. Jesus told those people to repent. These are Christians. These are not a bunch of people that just, you know, are out in the street living for the devil. He said, repent. Uh, hallelujah. And do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you, have, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Notice Jesus didn't say he hated the Nicolaitans. He hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Now I'm only going to read that one time. And after every letter to the churches, he says this right here. He that has an ear, let him hear. If you got an ear, you got to hear. Hear what the Spirit of God is saying. And then Jesus goes on to say, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And we look at that and go, uh-huh. Braves game, soccer game, movie, Six Flags, vacation. And see, all that sounds a lot more interesting than eating from the tree of life. How many of y'all, when y'all go to a farm, y'all look at an orange tree and you just go, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? That tree. I've been waiting to eat off that tree. No. I love Jesus using these analogies because so many people just look right over them because we base heaven on what we see down here on this earth. We think that this down here, some reason or another, is better than up there. I'm telling you, you are on drugs if you think anything is better down here than up there. Okay? I'm telling you. <laughs> What He has in store for them that love Him is going to blow your ever-loving mind. It's going to be good, man. Are you kidding me? Man, I can't wait till the day I die and go to heaven. Man, that ain't a sad day. That's a party day. I'm going to be riding on the rides of heaven, whatever that may be. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be good. It's going to be happy. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm excited about getting there. How about y'all? The reward they was going to get was eat from the tree of life. So what are the deeds of the Nicolaitans? And I'm just going to read this right here as, is, as it is. And I want you to just kind of picture it to where we are in the churches that we're around. That we could be a part of ourselves. 
This was believed to be the followers of Nicholas. Nicholas was in Acts chapter 6 as one of the seven that was chosen by the disciples to help them do ministry. Nicholas was a proselyte. He was not a Jew. It says this, uh, who was a proselyte that converted to Christianity from paganism. He was the only one of the seven that was chosen that was not a Jew. Okay, so that means a proselyte was one that was really into paganism, was into these kind of, you know, foreign gods and stuff like that. According to the writings of the early church leaders, Nicholas taught a doctrine of compromise, implying that total separation between Christianity and the, and the practice of occult paganism was not essential. From early church records, it seems apparent that this Nicholas of Antioch was so immersed in occult Judaism and Christianity that he had a stomach for all of it. He had no problem intermingling those belief systems in various uh, concoctions and saw no reason why believers sh couldn't continue to fellowship with those still immersed in the black magic of the Roman Empire and its countless mystery cults. We have that today. Churches have no problem with you doing whatever you want to do and it's all in the name of love. Oh, this is, I mean, it's only going to get deeper here. It is significant that the deeds and doctrines of the Nicolaitans are only mentioned in connection with the churches in these two occultic and pagan cities. It seems that the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was that it was all right to have one foot in both worlds and that one needn't be so strict about separation from the world in order to be a Christian. This is in fact was the doctrine of the Nicolaitans that Jesus hated. It led to a weak version of Christianity that was without power and without conviction, a defeated worldly type of Christianity. What is the one ingredient is missing in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in America on a weekly, monthly basis? What is the one ingredient? The power of God. The power. What do I mean by power? I'm talking about the power to raise the dead. The power to heal the sick. The power to open up blind eyes. The power to see wheelchairs emptied. This was a common occurrence in the early church. They seen this. I mean, they had it to a point to where Peter's shadow, they would bring sick people out of these, these buildings and just put them in the street and his shadow would walk by and actually touch and heal people. Your new birth, you receiving Jesus is a free gift, my friend. It's nothing you can do to earn that free gift. It's a gift given to all of us. And if we receive it, we're born again and we're going to heaven. But the power of God operating in your life has everything to do with your commitment to Him. He ain't putting His power just in anybody. Are you kidding me? He's not stupid. His power in a vessel that's not clean and sanctified and serving Him will abuse it for the wrong things, for gain or whatever. His power working in this church has everything to do with us as a body. So when we say we have prayer on Sunday night once a month, how many times? They were meeting daily in their houses and breaking bread and they were seeing people being changed by the thousands. Today you call a church-wide prayer meeting. And I think there's two cockroaches, three ants, and maybe a few people just show up. Why? Because we just like the free gift of salvation and we don't want anything to be tied to it. It's sad that Jesus paid that great a price and we give back that little. Hallelujah. It goes on to say this. Nicholas's deep roots in paganism may have produced in him a tolerance for occultism and paganism. Growing up in the per, this perverted spiritual environment may have caused him to view these belief systems as not so damaging or dangerous. This wrong perception would have resulted in a very liberal viewpoint that encouraged people to stay connected to the world. This is what numerous Bible scholars believe about the Nicolaitans. This kind of teaching would result in nothing but total defeat for its followers. When believers allow sin and compromise to be in their lives, it drains away the power in the work of the cross and the power of the Spirit that is resident in believers' lives. This is the reason the name Nicholas is so vital to this discussion. 
The evil fruit of Nicholas' doctrine encouraged worldly participation, leading people to indulge in sin and lowered godly standard. In this way, he literally conquered the people. Nicholas. He was on fire for God. But because his roots was in paganism and in the cult and all that stuff, he started mixing the two as he got away, walked away from his first love, and he started developing his own doctrine and own following. You've got to realize he had a high position with the apostles, so he had some followers, he had some influence. He just took it in the wrong way, and Jesus has said, I don't like that. Let me ask you all this. If Jesus Christ was the president of the United States of America, let's just go there, let's just have a little fun right here, okay? If Jesus was the president of this country, this was his country, how much tolerance would he have for other religions? Would he accept them all? Would he say, oh, that's okay. That's all right. That's good. We can have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's okay. Let's go a step further. What if we stepped in heaven? Would there be any room for any other religion other than serving God with all your heart, mind, and soul and Jesus being at the front and center of that particular religion? No, it would not fly. It would not fly at all. Jesus is coming back to create an earth that is Him only and God only. The problem with His followers today, you're too tolerant of things that He hates. I want that to get down in your ears and get down in your heart. He hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He didn't hate the people. Okay? He loves the people. He hated the deeds. Friend, we got to hate the deeds of this world that are destroying it. And we got to bring a solution. And in bringing that solution, you may be persecuted. You may be left out of a few things. You may be talked about. But friend, when you're trying to help somebody, it's worth it. If at the end they're going to be able to come out from a place of danger. I mean, man, I would, I would give my life if I could stop somebody from going off a cliff and knowing that they hated me for doing it or were mad at me for doing it, but I saved their whole family's life. That's worth it. And every step we take after we leave here today has eternal significance on it. Every step we take, every place we go, it has eternal significance on it. And that's why Jesus is so passionate about these letters. He's not asking us to compromise. He's asking us to stand up and stand out. And in some of these churches, it meant they lost their life by doing it. They were killed. But Jesus said, hey, in a little while, it's all going to be okay anyway. Stand up for what's right. Hallelujah. The message to Smyrna, the suffering church. Romans 2, verses 8 through 11. It says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Another description of Jesus. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Does that sound like a promise by Jesus that your life may not be taken from you for His name's sake? Friend... The persecution that is happening all over the world and has been happening all over the world that we read about Christians being beheaded and we hear you know, bad things going on with Christians, <clears throat> it's coming to a neighborhood near you. You need to know that we're all going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. You're going to be persecuted. If you're not being persecuted for what you stand for, there's a good chance you ain't standing for nothing. And I'm not talking about in an ugly, rude, dogmatic way. Again, you don't argue with anybody. If somebody wants to do wrong, you let them do wrong. But you encourage them to do right. And standing up and saying what's right is going to have a little bit of a negative feedback sometimes. Again, nobody wants to be told they're wrong. Saved or unsaved. Nobody likes to be told they're wrong. So when you do it in a loving way, it's going to have a little kickback. Everybody's not going to fall at your feet and go, oh man, give me Jesus. No, because the world sees what they're doing is okay. Why? 
is because it's, it's, it's just all over TV and all over the internet and everywhere else is to seem to be okay. Why can't we do this? So you have to continually stand. And that's what Jesus is encouraging these churches to do. Now listen to what he says to this church. He said, he who has an ear, let him hear what he says. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. That means you're not going to be destroyed into hell. This church right here, they were commended for their works, their tribulation, their poverty, but being rich spiritually. Their correction was none. They didn't get corrected at all. Their reward was the crown of life and no second death. The message to the Pergamum church, the compromising church. It says, Revelation 2, 12, And to the angel of the church of Pergamus write. Now see, put you here. The angel of the church of revolution write. He's talking to seven conditions of the heart today. And your heart is in one of these. My heart is in one of these. And only you can judge it. And if you don't judge it, again, the righteous judge will. At the end of days. He said, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. That means they had a buddy. That means we, uh, you know, Kurt got killed, all right, for his faith. They martyred Kurt. Okay, boom, he's dead. I mean, they just absolutely destroyed him, okay? Now, we as a church are going to be like, Whoa, that's real. <laughs> that's serious business. They didn't deny Jesus. They kept going, even in the face of one of their fellow brothers being killed. They loved Jesus. They didn't love that, and neither would we, but we love Jesus. He said, but I have a few things against you because you have, there are those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to, to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality. Thus you, have also, uh, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And he says, To him who overcomes I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Friend, we have this church that has let the, the, the teachings of Balaam and the teachings of the Nicolaitans to come in. And both teachings are basically teaching you to compromise your walk with Christ. That's all it is. Okay, whether it's sexual immorality, whether it's stealing, whether it's being dishonest, it don't matter what it is. Those teachings are meant to get you to choose another lover, to date another lover. Okay? That's all it is. The devil wants you dating somebody other than Jesus. He don't want you married to Jesus every day. He don't want you committed to Jesus every day. So what does he try to do? He tries to get in there to get you to hopefully the goal is to divorce Jesus and throw the towel in. But if he can't get you to do that, then he wants to get you to play around with other lovers. To put your arm and affection around things that cannot love you back and will not bring better lives to you. Amen? I mean, there ain't no woman going to love me like this woman right here. She loves me. I love her. Now, there's always the look of something else loving me more. There's always the appearance of maybe something being greater or better. But again, if it didn't look good, why would anybody chase it? Hello? If sin didn't look good, why would nobody would want it, right? Oh, yeah. Sin's fun, entertaining, attractive. Why? Because the only way he's going to get us to chase something bad, it's got to look good first. Come on, Cody. That's, I mean, that's a good word right there, man. You know what I'm saying? That's good stuff right there, okay? It's got to look good. Adam and Eve in the garden, looking at the tree of the knowledge of good and, well, good and evil. So it looked good, but it was bad. Gosh, and it's the same thing in our lives. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's okay. You can do it. Oh, yeah, you can talk to her at work. Oh, yeah, it's okay. No harm done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it all going to look good, but in the end, it destroys. Hallelujah. The compromising church. This church right here, they were commended by Jesus to hold fast to my name, did not deny my name even when Antipas was martyred, but the correction they held to, to the wrong teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. 
Friend, you need to get in a church that's going to look you in the face and is going to tell you right and wrong. You need to get in a church that don't mind speaking the truth in your life and calling it out in love. Okay? I'm never going to partner with you in what you're doing wrong. But I'm never going to leave you because you're doing wrong. You hear me? We're going to walk with you. We're going to pray with you. We're going to stand with you. And we're going to believe God's going to help you come out of what you're in. We're all jacked up in one way or another. Amen? We all got some issues we're working on. We need each other. But we're not going to get in there and pat somebody on the back when they're doing something wrong and say it's okay. That's destroying them. That ain't helping them. Oh, we don't want to make somebody feel bad. What? That's how I get, get, get better. I feel bad about what I did. Amen? I don't feel good. Come on, man. Get off that stuff. I don't want people like that in my life. They're going to tell me everything's all right when I'm going to hell. I'm doing something stupid. Oh, yeah, brother, you're all right. We love you. Oh, no, get out of my face. Get out of here. I want somebody to look me in the face and say, Nathan, you jacked up. You need to straighten up. That's wrong. That's, that's not right. Okay? Now, many of y'all may not like it, but that's just what I like. I like to be told, hey, man, you need to, you need to straighten up. Okay? All right, that brings us to the, uh, I think, fourth church, the message to the Thyatira church. So this was the corrupt church. How many of y'all want to attend the corrupt church? They're out there. And we could be a corrupt church, too, if we don't watch it. We could fall into the same rut. It says in verse uh, 18, And to the church, the angel of the church of Thyatira write, It said, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. How many of you got friends that have eyes like fire and their feet are like brass? You got some buddies like that? It might have been you paid for them brass shoes. <laughs> All right. He said, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants and to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. Jesus is full of love and compassion. He even gave Jezebel some time. And if you read about Jezebel, that woman was jacked up by the devil. I mean, she was probably a sweet girl. She just got full of the devil. Amen? She, she, she made some bad decisions. Very bad. She got ate by dogs. It was really bad. <laughs> anyway, um, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not what? Repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Did you see that? No matter how bad it gets, if you repent, it all can turn around. You're just one repent away from everything being made new. That's how easy it is. The devil makes it sound hard. Oh, no, man, you, you did this. This is wrong. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You need to go through 16 weeks of a class. You need to work really hard because God ain't really happy with you. You need to straighten up. No. You repent. It's washed away. You're brand new, my friend. Everything's back normal. Now, you're still going to feel like crap. I'll go ahead and tell you that. But just get past it, okay? I mean, I have messed up royally sometimes. I go to God and say, God, forgive me. I know He forgave me, but I feel so dirty. Oh, I feel bad because I let Him down. But He still loves me. And I'm restored back to where it was. Hallelujah. Just got to work through some things. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. It says, uh, I will kill her children with death. Sounds like a loving God, don't it? And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. God don't kill, steal, and destroy. You've got to rightly interpret the word of God. Your obedience opens the door for the enemy to come in and to take your life. John 10.10 10 tells us the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay? He allows these things to happen because you allow them to happen. Right. I'm telling you, God will let you do whatever you want to do, guys. Amen. He will. Whatever you want to do, He'll let you do. And, and He's not going to stop you. You have to choose Him in every situation. But He's going to be pulling for you. He's going to be trying to get you to do right. Now to you I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. But hold fast that you have till I, till I, but hold fast 
what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my word unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Don't you want some power over the nations? I want to read these next two out of here, and then we're going we're gonna to close down, okay? Because how many of y'all would like to know when the rapture takes place? Y'all know when Jesus is coming back, right? We talked about it a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, we know. We know exactly. You have missed that twice. You have missed that twice. <laughs> it is when everybody has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's when he's coming back. That's what he said. When everybody hears the message of Jesus, that's when he's going to come back. So we know when he's coming. We just don't know when the last person is going to hear the gospel. You know what I'm saying? But Sardis is called the Protestant church, which was a dead church. Okay? This was in uh, 1517 A.D. to 1750 A.D. This was uh, the Protestant Reformation. All right, the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards, uh, John Wesley, uh, they uh, started preaching in America around this time right here. Jesus' title for this church was Him Who Holds the Seven Spirits of God and the Seven Stars. The commendation, or what the, He commended them on, was a remnant of holy people. His complaint against them was they were alive in reputation, but they were dead in actuality. They were incomplete in their deeds. You know a church can sound alive? Act alive, but not have life of God in them. And what I'm hoping to do as a pastor of this church is I want to challenge everybody that's here not to play this. Don't let this just be an activity you do in your life. Let this be a God you serve and a God you let serve through you. Don't let it be a religion. Let it be a relationship. This is about you and Him doing something significant in this world. Did you know that most people on the planet are going to affect one or two people? Maybe three or four people. You're not always going to affect the multitudes. But if we all do our responsibility of ministering and sharing to the ones and the twos, we're going to see a lot. We're going to see revival if we'll do our part. The reward was they would be dressed in white in their name in the book of life. How many of y'all want your name in the book of life? Who's got the power to put it there? By accepting Jesus. But in the same uh, Sardis, it talks about him taking people's name out of the book. Ooh, don't want that to happen. Then it brings us to the Philadelphia church. Now this church right here, many scholars believe, this is the church or the time period in which we will be called up to heaven. So this is the sixth letter to the church at Philadelphia. And it's the evangelistic church. Kind of like the time period that we're in right now. The Philadelphia church. And the Laodicean church, which is next, is the time period we're in right now. So we have this Laodicean church and we have the Philadelphia church and they're both on opposite ends of the world. So the letter he writes to them uh, was a commendation of uh, uh, little strength, kept God's word, did not deny his name. The complaint about them was none. Okay, the reward was keep from the hour of trial coming upon the whole world made a pillar in the temple of God, written upon him the name of God, the name of the new city, and the new name of the Lord. So this church at Philadelphia is the church that a lot of people, and as, as I study and look at this, I can see how these two churches separate. That the Laodicean group was the group that was still left behind whenever the rapture took place in that video. That was the Laodicean churches that are going to be probably more full than that when that happens. And that's sad. I'm telling you, there's going to be people holding their baby and their baby's going to disappear. And they're going to be standing there holding clothes. It's not me. I'm not the one doing this. It's Jesus. But see, if we don't take this to heart, that every day matters to everybody around you and we just live for ourselves, are we really helping Jesus fulfill the Great Commission? Are we really, really telling people we care about them? Yes, be nice to people. We want to be nice to people. But our being nice to people needs to have some words to go along with it. Like Jesus loves you. Jesus cares about you. Jesus wants to be a part of your life. Jesus can help you fix this. We want to say His name. We want to proclaim the gospel. Because that's what's going to help all of us guys. Attending church ain't going to help you. Getting this in you and letting it operate in you is what's going to help you. So the Laodicean church, it goes like this. 
The complaint against that was lukewarm, self-sufficient, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They thought they had everything going on. They wasn't hot. They wasn't cold. They were in between. And Jesus said, I will vomit you out of my mouth. But the Philadelphian church is the church that's in revival. And that's what you're going to see in these last days. Because as a church, we have to decide which one are we going to be. Are we going to be the church at Philadelphia or are we going to be the church at the Laodicean? Are we going to be that group? Because me personally, I want a church and be a part of a church that's going hard after God to see people saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, delivered, set free. I want to see a church that's going after Jesus daily. A church that's not making excuses of why we can't come together, but making reasons to get together. Why? Because we're better together, guys. Our problems get solved better when we're together. When we pray for one another. When we encourage one another. When we help one another. Jesus said that you'll know that these belong to me by the love they have for one another. You can't love somebody you ain't around. How do you love somebody you ain't around? you got to get around. We've reduced church in America to one day a week. God forbid if you say anything about any other day in this holy week. Because ain't nobody going to show up. Oh yeah, brother, man, we need God. We need revival. Yeah, we need to move with the Spirit. Okay, we're going to have a revival next week. Man, it'll be me and a lot of chairs. And maybe some. But what do we want more? If we want what the early disciples got, we're going to have to change something to get it. Because it is not actively working in churches today. If we've done anything, we've done everything we can to push the Spirit of God out of the church. Now, we don't want people in here acting like that. Don't be shaking. Don't you be jumping. Don't you be running. God forbid you get excited about Jesus. And if you run around the church, I'll quit. I ain't coming there. Y'all crazy. Y'all fanatics. Oh, and you speak in tongues? Oh, my God. That's of the devil. You speaking in tongues? That's of the devil. Don't you lay hands on nobody in church. They might shake and fall out and cause a scene. No, we're going to pray for you in the back alley right back here in this fence right here because we don't want to see nothing. You might act crazy. How many of you know if you're on drugs and you get touched and get set free, you're going to get excited? How many of you know if you're in a wheelchair and you've been there for 30 years and then God touches you and you get out of the wheelchair, you're going to get excited? How many of you know if you've got a marriage that's broken and, and, and headed to hell and all of a sudden God restores your family and brings you back together? Tell me you're going to get excited. Come on, man. We want to see His move. We want to see the Spirit of God move. Because, man, He's alive. And when He touches you, you can't help but move, man. Are you kidding me? Man, they go to a Luke Bryan concert and they'd be, oh, yeah, phones out. Woo! Woo! Be acting all crazy up in there. You get in church and we can't even move. Forget that, man. I want to be a church that's shaking the foundation. Amen? We're moving, man, with God. Come on, man. Let's get crazy. I tell people all the time, I say, I'd rather see some, some fire than nothing at all. Okay? I'd rather have say, well, y'all y'all, calm down, man. Everybody going crazy. I'd rather have that. Of... What is that? You know what I'm saying? Man, I serve a God that's exciting. I serve a God that's in love with me. He's in love with you. And He wants to turn your world upside down. Hallelujah. Man, I just don't understand, man. Gosh, man, it's like we look at all the negative or we look at what's wrong. Man, forget all that. Man, just get on fire for God and everything else will change, I promise you. You just get on fire for God. Let God work through you. Fall in love with Jesus. Begin to confess His Word. Read His Word. Pray in the Spirit. Pray with your Sing to the Lord. Play worship music. Worship God all day. Worship, worship, worship. Oh no, man, I like to listen to this other stuff. Well, why don't you try the other way for a couple years? You know, we're all well, well versed in going to certain things, listening to certain, certain things, watching certain things. What if we just changed it for a year or two? And if it didn't work, if, you know, praising God for a, an extra hour didn't work, or maybe reading a little extra word, it didn't work, or, or maybe just kind of, you know, going to church a little extra, listening to a podcast of a minister, <laughs> go figure. <laughs> You're just listening to the word a little bit. What if you did that for a year or two? And if it didn't work, I would say throw your phone away, throw the Bible away, and just walk away from all of it. But what if 
something started moving on the inside of you that's never moved before. What if you begin to see people the way Jesus saw them? What if you begin to see an opportunity to go to Kroger is more than just buying groceries? We're going to be on aisle three and somebody's going to get some healing around here. Come on, sweetheart. Let's get in this, let's get in this Walmart. There's some people in here that don't know Jesus. And we'll spend our $100 like everybody does. But you know what? We're going to go in here. We're going to share some good news. How about if we just get in line and go, yeah, we need to buy that. We're going to help them out in Jesus' name. What if the church just begin to get close to him and we begin to start looking like him? We begin to start acting like him. Guys, let me tell you something. Revelations is a revelation of the man Christ Jesus. It is seven years that is going to cause God to shed more tears than he's ever shed in his life. It's going to break his heart. But he can't let evil go on. There has to be a judgment somewhere. And like Peter said, judgment begins first in the house of the Lord. Each one of you guys that are here, you're called here to make a difference. And the devil will fight that tooth and nail. He'll try to get you discouraged. He'll try to get you to talk about other people. He'll try to get you to quit. He'll try to get you to look at other things. That's his job. And if we yield to that, you're going to eat the fruit of that, and it ain't going to be good. But what if we all lean in and realize we're all imperfect? How about that? That we all have some flaws. And we said, you know what? We're not going to major on that. We're going to major on Him and what He can absolutely do through some people that will come to church faithfully, that will pray together, that will sing together, that will encourage one another, that will love one another, and begin to start marching at the same beat together. He loves us, guys. But as much as He loves us, He loves them too. And He don't want it to stop with us. I pray today that you find your first love. I pray today that you would just give your life to Him. Get radical. I mean, we get radical about everything else. Man, when I was in the world, I was radical. Beer drinking, pot smoking, party animal. I mean, I was. I was all in. But man, when I seen the love of God, and what I seen was on this side, I'm telling you, I look at my wife, and she has served God all her life, and I go, man, I wasted 10 or 15 years of my life doing stuff that was stupid. But thank God he had grace on me. And he's had grace on y'all. He loves us, guys. Your life is better serving Jesus with everything you have. You know it, you know it, you know it. Some of y'all have lived on both sides, y'all know. Some of y'all may be struggling with that now. But guys, I promise you, if you'll go all in, you will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed, man. He loves you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and I thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment in time. Father, do what only you do. Holy Spirit, draw the hearts of the people. Father God, these people belong to you, and you know where they're at. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to touch their heart. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to pull them to Jesus. Because the Bible says that except you draw them to Jesus, they'll never be saved. So Holy Spirit, do your work in everybody's hearts right now. And if you're in this room today and you say, you know what, Nathan, I have never received Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I've never made the commitment to say I'm all in. I want you to be bold today. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to call you out. This is nothing about this is embarrassing. I'm going to tell you, it takes a real man and woman to serve God through Jesus. If that's you today and you say, Nathan, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, just put your hand up and put it back down. We're not, like I said, this ain't, we're not putting our finger on anybody, pointing anybody, no. Just put your hand, we want to pray with you. Hallelujah. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Nathan, man, one time I did serve Jesus. I was on fire for God. I was going all, all out for Him. But you know what, I just haven't been doing that lately. Will you pray with me? Yes, I will. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Be bold, man. I see that hand. Hallelujah. Be bold, man. Don't take your cold heart back out there and put it in your car and drive away. Man, get some fire in there, man. 
And all it takes is you making a commitment. When you raise your hand, that's not for me, that's for Him. You're just saying, hey, I'm in. Allegiance to Jesus, I'm here. I'm with you. But you thinking everything's okay, that's bad. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, if everybody would stand, we're going to pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I just want everybody to, to pray after me. I know many of y'all may be right with God, but you know what? We had somebody raise their hand, and that person is not by themselves. We're all in this thing together. And if one prays, we can all pray with them. Don't y'all agree? Hallelujah. I think it's a glorious thing that somebody would raise their hand and say, you know what? I want to rededicate my life with Jesus. And you that raised your hand, I say, God bless you. God's going to do a work in your life. Amen. So let's just all lift up our hearts, lift up our hands, and just repeat after me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you, and I ask you to be my Lord, to be my Savior. I repent and turn away from the way I used to live. And I ask you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life forever. Father, I ask you for grace and mercy to be able to walk this life out for Jesus. Now lift up your hands and just thank Him. Hallelujah. If you prayed that prayer, whether you raised your hand or whether you wanted to raise your hand, I want to welcome you back to the family of God, welcome you into a personal relationship with Him, and just go after Him in the name of you. Father, we love you, we praise you, we magnify you. Hallelujah, that we stand with that one. Hallelujah. We stand with maybe others that prayed that prayer and believed it with their heart, Father God. We thank you, Lord, for doing a work in their lives in Jesus' name. Never to be the same. Never to be the same. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe you're in this room today and you've got sickness in your body and you're tired of it. Maybe you're in this room and you're, you're dealing with things um, emotionally, uh, maybe struggles, whatever the case may be, and you're just tired of them. And you want the power of God to remove that in your life. I believe the power is here to do that. But you're going to have to be bold and come down here. You're going to have to be bold and come down here. Hallelujah. If that's you, I'm telling you. you take See what he just did right there? He walked to Jesus. He didn't walk to Nathan. He walked to Jesus. And I'm telling you, the power of God is present to heal and set free and deliver right now. Not next week. Not next month. Right now. And I promise you, he will show out and show up because His power is real. So if that's you and you're, you're struggling in the air, maybe you got some sickness, anything that you want to be broken, don't carry it home, will you? Hallelujah. Don't let pride stop you. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus. Now I want everybody that's out there